This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We just finished this at uh, Redeemer, where I pastor. Um, but uh, I'll just keep going in 1 Peter for you guys so you can have the whole book. So. All right. As long as you continue to have me anyway. All right. Um, just understanding everything in its context. And, and I, as I preach through a book, um, I think it's helpful to kind of just always be reminded of where we've already been. Um, we remember that uh, the book has different types of uh, um, literature here. Uh, we've got some that's telling us what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's declarative. It's saying, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. And we have other things that are saying, uh, on, on the basis of this, this is how we live. Because of what God has done, this is how we live. And today we'll be looking at a passage that's in that, because of what God has done, this is how we live. Um, but what has God done? He has uh, caused us to be born again. He has given us a new hope and a future that we can hold on to. And He holds us by His power. He's called us to live holy lives. He's called us to live as people who are not of this world. We live as strangers and aliens. And we have a King who is far off. Well, He is with us. Lo, He is with us always. But, but we live as strangers and aliens because uh, we live in the midst of a world that is dominated by the powers of this world. And we await our coming king who's going to come and set all things right. And so in the midst of this present evil age, we are living as strangers and aliens, as citizens of another kingdom, and kind of in a way as dual citizens. We have a heavenly citizenship and an earthly citizenship. So how are we to live in this way? Um, he tells us, uh, and we've already seen, He calls us to be holy. He calls us to love one another fervently from the heart. He calls us uh, to live in the fear of God. Um, he tells us to earnestly desire the milk of the Word, to, 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 to uh, uh, long after His, his Word. He, he commands our desires in that way. Um, he reminds us that as, he has, uh, as we are His people in the midst of this present evil age, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We're, we are all these things living in the midst of this hostile world, and he tells us, uh, as we live in this world, we're, we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh that war against us. Uh, we are to submit to every human authority, and then that leads us up to today. That leads us up to today. So how are we to live in this world as we are aliens and strangers? How are we to live in each different sphere of life he told us last time to be subject to, last time we were together, to be subject to every human authority. Next time I'm with you, we will look at the family structure and how a family is to live in the midst of this present evil age, in which, in the midst of this 
uh, era in which we experience the hostility of the world. And today we're looking at a passage where he's addressing masters and slaves. Now, this may be odd to us because we don't live in a society today where they have the kind of slavery they had in, uh, in the biblical period. Uh, we live in a day where slavery has been abolished. Um, yet there are things here that, that are, are useful for us today for training and instruction in righteousness. The, this is relevant to us even though we live in a day where there is no um, forced servitude. Um, let's go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse 18 of 1 Peter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to do this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die and die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word brings life. Your word gives us strength. Your word is a, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to do surgery on us to cut away impure thoughts, wrong desires, wrong um, attitudes and actions. Your word can shape us and form us into the image of Christ. And we ask for you to do that today as we look into your word. Lord, you would help us, Lord, to gaze into the mirror of your word and not walk away forgetting what we've seen, but that we might be changed from one degree of glory to another. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter tells us, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Again, we don't have slavery like they had it in the biblical period. Our country abolished that approximately 150 years ago. Um, and uh, we do, there is slavery that still exists in our country, but it is not legal. It is not uh, something that is, um, 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 has the stamp of approval of the government. Um, and when it is uh, discovered, it is prosecuted. 
uh, and, and we see it as one of the most uh, heinous uh, sins and crimes against people in our society today. Um, but in the, Old Test- in, the, in the biblical period, slavery was an institution uh, in which much of the Roman government, uh, much, much of the Roman Empire were slaves. Many of the people, there may have been more slaves than there were free people uh, in that era. And so Peter addresses these people, who believers who are slaves, how they are to live in the midst of this uh, circumstance. Jesus has set us free, right? He set us free from sin. He set us free from death. And yet, in this present evil age, in the age in which we live, while we long for his coming again, these believing servants must have asked, how am I to live? In the midst of this. And Peter gives an answer. Um, He tells us, be subject to your own masters. To your masters. Um, Why does Peter tell him to do that? Doesn't he know how evil slavery is? Right? We we can ask the question of the text. Doesn't he know how evil slavery is for a, a human being to own another human being? Um, Well, certainly he knew how evil slavery was. Uh, Now, we don't want to compare, we we can't equate slavery in the Old Testament, in the uh, biblical period, along with uh, uh, the um, institution of slavery in the United States. Um, For one, slavery in the United States was based on race. Uh, Slavery in the ancient world was not. Anybody could be a slave. People, people, uh, of the same um, ethnicity could be uh, slave and master together. Um, in the ancient world, sometimes a slave was very highly educated, and oftentimes a slave were, was the tutor in the home that would teach the children, and they were, uh, they were uh, very intelligent. Uh, in the American experience of slavery, oftentimes education was, was outlawed. Because they knew that with education, uh, there, there, there comes a, a longing for freedom and they, they wanted to put down any kind of possible rebellion. And so uh, education was discouraged among slaves. Um, but we, we shouldn't think that uh, somehow the slavery in the ancient world was any more humane. Still, at, at that time, um, slaves were allowed to, uh, masters were allowed to beat their slaves. Uh, they were considered as property, even in the biblical period. They were considered as property. If a slave was, had children uh, in, in the home of the master, uh, the, the children could still be sold and, and, and uh, being um, you know, given away to another uh, family, and, and the the, the uh, uh, slave had no rights over that. They were consi- the children; his own children were considered a part of the property of the of the master, and not his own. And so, uh, we shouldn't look back at this text and think, "Well, slavery was just completely different than what we know from the United from the American experience." No, uh, it was an inhumane institution, um, but still. Why does Peter tell servants to be submissive to their masters? If, if this is such an evil institution, why does Peter... Well, because, uh, I think this is right, um, 
The goal of the early church, the goal of, of Peter and the other biblical authors was not to start a political revolution and upset the order of, uh, of the social structures. That's not what the goal of the New Testament writers was. The goal was this is a given institution. This is a given in society. We live in a, in a wicked, evil world uh, where slavery exists. So how are we to live in that? And that's what Peter is, is saying. So slavery exists. Slavery exists. And, and, bec- and because it exists, he's giving slaves instructions on how they are to live as followers of Jesus, as people who've been set free from sin in the midst of this world. You follow me? All right. So, um, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. We see this word with all respect. And we, we I think, we're, because of the way this is translated, and I don't know, how, how is it read, read in the King James? Do you know? I'm sorry. That's right. She's got it. Okay. <laughs> Two, one verse. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Two... Yeah, 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not okay. To the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Okay. So, with, with all fear. Okay. Uh, this is one where I think the King James is probably going to be better than where I'm going here. Where, I, where The one I'm using here. Um, it says all with all respect here, and that's an interpretation as well. Um, with all fear. Uh, I think maybe one of the reasons why the translators here have said uh, with all respect is because, you know, Peter has also elsewhere said, we fear God, not the king. We fear God and we honor the king. We don't fear uh, human beings. We just fear God. That's the only one we're to fear. Um, I think if we understand that the, that the word there, in all fear, um, is actually fear and not respect, uh, that, that Peter is not telling them that uh, they, they should uh, be subject to their masters because they fear their masters. They're, he's telling them they should be subject to their masters because they fear God in all respect, in all fear, because they fear God. They're, they're obeying their masters not because they're afraid of their masters, not because they're respecting their masters. They're, they're, fear, they're uh, obeying their masters or subject, subject to their masters because they fear God. It's because of Him that, he, that they live this way. Then, not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust. We might get the idea that Peter is talking only to slaves who have believing masters or masters who treat them well. But, but Peter, you know, he heads us off at the past there. He doesn't let us get that. You know, he says, no. Obedient not only to the good masters, but also to those who are, harm, who are um, harsh. Those who are unjust. Uh, but, but servants are to be subject to their masters even in those conditions. Why does he say this? Why does he tell uh, servants to be submissive to even to wicked and unbelieving masters? He tells us why. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. He, he starts to ground the reason why servants are to be obedient to their masters because this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing. It's a gift. Okay? He repeats that later. He says in um, um, 
at the end of verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The reason, the ground, the, the, the purpose for which Peter is telling believers, believing slaves, that they're to be subject to their masters is, this is a gracious thing. And then he spells it out a little bit more. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's a gracious thing. And that can be relating to all of us. We don't live with a world with, with slavery, but we do live in a world where we sometimes endure sorrows while suffering unjustly, don't we? Maybe you've experienced a time whenever you've endured a sorrow while suffering unjustly. And we can think of uh, situations in our country, things that have hit the news, like the florists and the cake bakers who've been enduring suffering while they've endured sorrows and they suffered unjustly. But in the midst of all of that, they're mindful of God. They remember God sees all of this. He's in control and they're trusting him. The, the ability to continue to endure those sufferings, even in the midst of being, being um, uh, of suffering unjustly, the ability to do that and trust God, it's a gracious thing. We can't do it on our own. We've got to have the Spirit. We've got to have uh, Him enabling us. It's a gift. Peter says that believing servants in the midst of this ancient world, the, the ancient world, in the midst of, of, of uh, this hostile world, were to be obedient to their masters because they're fearing God and also because it's a gift. It's something they couldn't do apart from God's enabling spirit. While mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He's saying there's no, there's, there's, there's nothing praiseworthy, morally praiseworthy about doing wrong and then being beaten for it, right? These, these believers, these believers who were, ser- who were servants, who were slaves in that time, if they disobey their master and then got beaten for it, okay, there wouldn't be anything morally praiseworthy about that. But by being good and being submissive uh, and, they, and they endure suffering for that, there is praise for that. There is moral praiseworthiness in um, doing good and still enduring suffering. Continuing on in the same verse, but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He repeats that again, uh, where he says, this is a gracious thing. It's a gift. It's, it's uh, something God enables you to do. And it says, in the sight of God, whether you're a servant in the ancient world or whether today you experience unjust sorrows because of your obedience to Christ, God sees it. It's in the sight of God. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. You're not suffering all alone without God seeing you. Um, I think of uh, a psalm that I preached at... at, um, uh, at Redeemer last last Sunday, I, we preached uh, I preached the thirteenth Psalm. And, uh, David 
cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And it might feel sometimes that God is distant and that He doesn't see us, but Peter Hill reminds you, in the midst of the suffering, God sees us. And that could be a comfort to know that He sees us. It's gracious in the sight of God. While we suffer unjust suffering in the midst of this hostile evil age, He sees us. He's there with us. And we can trust Him. Verse 21. He begins to shift gears here. Okay? Uh, We started off with that, this is how we live on the basis of what God has done in Jesus. And in verse 21, He starts to shift the corner and He returns again to, this is what God has done in Jesus. For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Why do we embrace suffering? Why do we uh, suffer trusting God and not lashing out against those who treat us unjustly? Because that's what we've been called to. He's called us out of darkness and into the light. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's got a future that, that, and this is what he's called us to. He's called us to suffering. Um, For this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you. We've been called to suffer because Christ suffered for us. We're being called to follow after the example of Jesus. He suffered for us. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He he, uh, took on beating and mockery and all of those things in our place. We deserved it. He did it for us. He suffered for us. Um, Also in verse 21, it says, leaving you an example. I have to be careful when I talk about the example, okay? Uh, there's a theory of uh, the atonement of Christ, the, the, what, what, the work of Christ on the cross. There's a theory about the atonement that goes, dates all the way back to the Middle Ages um, called the example theory. The, 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 the example theory basically says that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was he left us an example uh, 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 this, this is what, what God has, has done. He's, he's left us this example and just by the, the, uh, uh, the picture of what Jesus did on the cross draws us to himself because he, what, what he did was so beautiful and so glorious. And it, it kind of, it leaves out the fact that he died for our sins. He, it's, uh, it, it leaves out the, the punishment aspect of, of, uh, of him taking on the punishment that we deserved. Now, he did leave us an example, and the Bible talks about this, but many, many times someone will try to talk about his example as a, to the exclusion of the fact that, that he died in the place of our sins. Um, but he did leave us an example. Um, he, um, and the words example there, the word example there has the idea of... Um, Letters, uh, like, like uh, ABCs. 
Um, so when we've got teacher here, um, the letters along the wall, you know, whenever you, whenever you have uh, students who are just beginning to write. And uh, uh, you, you, maybe, maybe you can think of those perfect cursive letters. And as a child, you just, you want to make those cur- cur- cursive letters just like those perfect pictures of them. But every time we try, as a little child, try to make those perfect cursive letters, it just doesn't come out quite right, does it? Jesus leaves us that kind of example. We can't be Jesus. We can't be perfect, but he left us an example. And so when we live our lives, we're trying to to live like he did. Okay? Um, He'll never measure up to that perfect. Not in this life. Um, He left us an example that we might follow in his steps. Uh, the, 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 the book by the t- name In His Steps. Anybody read it? Uh, Charles Sheldon wrote it, uh, In His Steps. It's where the, where the phrase, what would Jesus do, comes from. Um, that, that's a, a classic book. And in this, uh, you know, uh, a businessman decides he's going to, uh, um, every decision that he makes about his business, he's going to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Okay. Um, in this context, in this scripture passage, whenever it talks about the example that Jesus left, that we might follow in his steps, what Jesus would do is to suffer. He embraced suffering for us. Um, and so when we follow after Jesus, when we, when we do that, we're taking up our cross. We're suffering. Uh, we, we're, we're doing what's, uh, what's not comfortable in the face of wrong treatment, in the face of injustice uh, to us, we're not demanding our rights, but we're trusting in God. Um, verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is describing what Jesus was like. He was perfect. He was the perfect Lamb of God. There wasn't one sin uh, in him. He never told a little white lie. He never um, uh, had one impure thought. He never did one thing. He was tempted in all points as we were, and yet was without sin. There was deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. You know, when he was suffering on the cross, he knew who he was. He knew he was God. And he could... He, he, he suffered at the cross and was mocked. And he didn't cry out and say, you're going to get it one day. <laughs> you know, that, that's not the way Jesus responded. Instead, he was a lamb that was silent. Um, And in the same way, when we experience unjust treatment, our response is not to say, well, you know, you're treating me this way now, but just wait until he comes. (laughs) Well, we're not to taunt back in return and say, yeah, 
you just wait. <laughs> You're going to get... No, no. Our response is to follow after Jesus' steps. We are silent. Just like Jesus was silent. Um, when he reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not... Uh, uh, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Um, we don't lash out when we face that kind of treatment. We don't lash out. We don't taunt people because we know our king is coming someday. We just trust God. We trust him. Because we know he is the judge of all the earth. He will one day come and he will... Give everyone what they deserve if they're not found in Christ. He judges perfectly justly. And it tells us again what, what Jesus do, did for us in Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We're full of sin. We, we, we sin daily. A word that's not completely 100% honest. We didn't even mean to do it. It just came out. Um, a look that we didn't mean to give. Or maybe a look that we meant to give. Daily, we still continue to struggle with sin in this life until Jesus comes. And all of that, he took in himself on his body on the tree all of our sin was laid on Jesus. He became a curse for us. Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is the one who's hung on a tree. This text here tells us he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. Jesus became a curse for us. He tells us that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He did that for us. He took our sin on Himself so that we might die. Jesus calls us to die. Die to ourselves. Die to our sin. This is all the basis for why a, a, a believing servant is to continue, is to be submissive to his master. And why we ought to respond to unjust treatment the way that he's telling us to do so. Because... We're no longer our own. We died to our own rights. We died to our sin. And we live to righteousness. We live to Jesus. He reminds us, by His wounds you have been healed. We were once sinners just like the people who persecute us and treat us wrongly. And we, He's healed us by His wounds. For you were once straying like sheep. We were once like sheep. We've all gone astray. But now, we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Earlier in the chapter, he said, we've been called from darkness into light. We, we were made caused to be born again. Here, he's telling us, we were once straying like sheep. But now we've returned. He's brought us home. He, we went out and searched for us and brought us home. 
we have returned to the shepherd, the good shepherd, an overseer. He guards us. He protects us. He is the just judge. He holds our souls in the midst of his hand. So how can we do what this text is calling us to? We're not slaves in the economic sense. We're not slaves. How can we do, how can we put into practice what he's calling us to? When we experience unjust treatment at the hand of a hostile world in which we are citizens of another kingdom, how do we respond? We respond not with lashing out, not with insisting on our rights, but we respond with trusting God. Our life is in his hands. We trust that he is a good judge, that our sins have been nailed to the cross with Jesus, and that he cares for us like a shepherd and has a guard that will never let us go. I think that's incredibly comforting. Thank you.